Welcome everyone to Sunday service and a special welcome to all our guests here at the Expanding Light as well as up at the Meditation Retreat and to any visitors and to all those online watching us. My name is Swami Pranaba and this is Swami Parvati. This reading is taken from Rays of the One Light with parallel commentaries from the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. Self-reliance versus self-reliance. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Last week we considered the need for attunement with God, with the gurus, with the wisdom of others until we make that wisdom our own. There is a strong and indeed valid belief nowadays in the need for standing on one's own feet rather than depending weakly on others to carry us by their strength. Swami Kriyananda once once asked, What is the best yoga posture? That one, he replied, which sets you squarely on your own two feet. Our strength must come from within. If that strength comes from the ego, however, instead of from soul consciousness, it is like a guitar string without its sounding board. The notes it emits will be thin and feeble. Our strength must come from within, but must be coupled with recognition of our inner link with broader and higher realities. The Bhagavad Gita says in the 10th chapter, Everyone in this world whose life is glorious or prosperous or powerful Know that his achievement is but a little spark from the great sun of my effulgence. Jesus, in talking to his disciples, emphasized also the power of attunement with his own consciousness as a ray of the divine. For this ray had descended already through him in response to their devotion. It was a sign that God was already listening to them with receptive attention and did not require to be wooed in that way any longer. In the passage preceding the one that was read last week, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. This was the meaning of Paramahansa Yogananda's counsel also, when speaking more intimately to the disciples of the need for attunement with him. Thus through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Whispers from Eternity. Demand to set fire to the forest of darkness. I built a a fire of devotion in the dark forest of delusion. 
Alas, the fire only smoldered. Then thou didst come and set fire to a few of my frailties. That fire quickly spread, consuming the bushes of my prickly desires, my tall, towering vanities, and the thick underbrush of my arrogance. The whole forest of my darkness is blazing, and I behold only thy light shining everywhere. I thank thee, Father, for thy help. Help me thus always. Let me open a path of light for all to follow. So this topic and uh, how it's described, especially what Jesus said, we can kind of flow with what Yogananda, what's from the Bhagavad Gita about all power flows from God. Yes, that seems like a nice idea. But then when we get to the part about the cutting and the getting rid of and the all of this of the brambles and the purging of, and it's talking about us. So this gets a little more personal and a little more interesting to contemplate. And you might think, one might think, people probably do think, that um, all of this cutting and purging and cleaning, people would be pretty grim on the spiritual path to to have to go through all of that. But... You know, we have a lot to learn, and I don't mean us here, because I realize people here, by and large, are on the spiritual path, engaging in things and seeing the results. But the mind, the intellect, which with which with most most people out there are looking in on a spiritual life, says, wow, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me. But... Interestingly enough, what it produces is joy and love and peace. All the things that we look everywhere for and can never find. And how do we know that that's what happens? Because we have the living proof of all of us. I was remembering the very sweet time 23 years ago when on this same platform um, we had a celebration for the 100-year anniversary of Yogananda's birth. We didn't do it in January. We did it when the weather was nice. And Swami Kriyananda invited all of the direct disciples that could come at that time to come here and be here and celebrate that event with us. And it's we have wonderful pictures from that time. It was uh, Peggy Dietz and Bob, Peggy Dietz, who lived in Oregon, Bob Raymer, who met Yogananda at the end of his life, Yogananda's life, and I can't remember where he lived at the time. He went on to become the director of Song of the Morning Ranch in his old age. And uh, Roy Eugene Davis, who has a work in Georgia. And then four people from India. Hare Krishna Ghosh, who was Master's nephew. His wife Anjali, uh, Hashi, and Devi Mukherjee. And they all came, and it was just, it was a wonderful time, a wonderful weekend. And we had just brought out the original edition of the Autobiography of a Yogi. So I quickly grabbed my copy and went around and had all of them sign it. Because for the most part, 
all of them are no longer in their physical bodies. But the way that they related and the stories that they told, they were the living proof of what the spiritual path is all about because every one of them had been on the path for over 40 years, 40, 50 years, whatever, longer. But uh, but it was a wonderful time and just to see what the fruits really are of living the spiritual life. So for all of us, it's important that we just keep in mind what those elements are, what we need to be doing all the time, and to keep fresh in our minds and in our consciousness and in our our daily life. I read an article that appeared in Clarity Magazine recently, and I was really, not recently, it appeared actually several number of years ago, but I just saw it recently, and it was so striking. It's called Growing Younger. And it's by Yogananda, but drawn from Precepta lessons in a couple of different years and from the essence of self-realization. And in that, he talks about, he's talking about, as you age, that kind of thing, but it really applies to everyone because he said, aging starts in the mind. It doesn't start in the body, and it doesn't start when you get to be over 50 or 60. He said, some people in their 20s are quite old. And I don't mean mature, but old. And, uh, and so it's an interesting one just to keep in mind because that's another element, another characteristic that you could see in all these disciples was youth. Youth of mind, youth of consciousness, youth of energy. Maybe their bodies were getting older, but and they were, all of them, fairly old at that time. But there was not the feeling of age. There was not the feeling of being old. And so it's, it's very important that we all keep in touch with the really crucial elements on the spiritual path that will keep that happening for us. Because without them, then it is. It's the mind, and the mind just... And there's a whole lot of energy in the world today as we go through a big aging process, and people will think about getting old. And so that magnetism, that energy, that consciousness is out there, and we don't we don't need to do that. We don't need to go there. But, but it is important that we understand, as Yogananda said, aging begins in the mind. And so what do we do about that? Well, it really comes right back to, and this topic has to deal with, the disciple-guru relationship. Because that and engaging in that in a very strong way, in a very clear way, in a very focused way, is the way that we are, we prepare ourselves and we're able to go the distance of this incredibly long distance run that the spiritual path is all about. Remember, it's millions of lifetimes when we look clear back to the beginning in a human body. And then once we get on the path, we have to maintain that momentum. We have to keep moving and moving and keep our energy fresh and alive. So with this, the important part is really taking up that guru-disciple relationship and engaging in it from where each one of us are at 
in a very clear, focused way. It is the first sentence in the autobiography of a yogi that Yogananda states that India's true and remaining wealth is the disciple-guru relationship. And so it's very, very important. It's how he starts out that very popular and very well-known book. And so for all of us, we want to be thinking about how to attune, and that was topic for last week, but it really flows into this week as well. And so Yogananda talks about obedience and he says some interesting things about it, and these are drawn uh, from statements of his in the essence of self-realization. But as we know, we relate to this as cooperative obedience. And he said, obedience must be given freely, willingly, and intelligently. And those three really add up to cooperation, if we want to say one word. But freely, willingly, and intelligently, so that we understand what we're doing. We're always trying to engage in the spiritual path and the guru-disciple relationship in that way. By our own freedom, it's a free choice, nobody's making you do it. And then also willingly, meaning we want it, we really look for it. And intelligently, meaning, and he says intelligence is not the rational mind, as it said in that reading on discrimination, it's intuitive perception. And so that intuitive perception is what allows us to continually be able to chart the course, so to say, uh, so to speak, as we move through ongoing levels of that discipleship relationship with the guru. Now, the guru is not in the body right now, our guru, Paramahansa Yogananda. But you know what? That doesn't matter at all. Gurus don't need a body. Gurus are omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. So bodies are there. They're nice when you have that karma to meet a guru in the body, but it isn't essential that that happen. But what is essential is that in our obedience to that guru, that we're looking at what he said and we're trying to do it, that we're inwardly calling as well, that we're inwardly asking for guidance. And also, interestingly enough, when Yogananda talks about obedience, he talks about that the guidance for that obedience has to come from that same highest level. So we have to be giving that cooperative obedience from a high level. But the guidance that we're receiving, whether it's from a guru in a body, a spiritual teacher in a body, guru bhais who we may respect in bodies, um, that we feel also that that guidance is coming from that highest level as well. Because otherwise, we get into trouble. You know, we can presume to know, we can presume that we're doing the right thing when we're not really asking inwardly for that guidance uh, 
intuitively. So very important that we uh, do both of these things. It's where probably the misconceptions about the guru-disciple relationship get taken up, you know, get founded in people not... um, not engaging in a way that makes sense and makes sense spiritually, deeply, all the way down. And so we have to feel that way. In other words, we have to do the work. And the other part I remember, when we're engaging in the guru-disciple relationship, I remember Swami Kriyananda saying, you should be able to turn on a dime. You should be so centered in yourself and not attached, not reactive, not having a lot of likes and dislikes, not having a lot of self-definitions. We should be able to turn on a dime. I've always remembered that just kind of in the background because it represents an energy that is important for us to try to live by more and more. And again, everyone here, each single person will have a a little different way of doing that, be in a little different place. So take all of this in the way that it relates to you personally. Personally and individually. Because the, the teachings of the path, they have to be individual. But those three levels, I was thinking, what, what doesn't allow us to move forward spiritually as disciples? And really, reaction, followed by likes and dislikes that go along with those reactions. They get a little more solidified, followed by attachment to those likes and dislikes, followed by self-definitions that we really bring it down to, uh, a concrete expression that that's not who I am, I I can't do that. And and so we have this, this ability to look at what can work, where can we begin, and I'm assuming we've already all begun, but what's important to keep in mind? And I think looking at the reactive process and the likes and dislikes, it's a simple way just to, in your daily life, because all of this has to be daily and has to be refreshed daily. Otherwise, it's no fun and you won't stick around on the spiritual path very long because it has to be that we want it, that we long for it, that we keep it fresh and alive. But if we're looking at just how we live our life every day, look to calm down reaction and the likes and dislikes that you feel you have. You know, they're simple things. Oh, I like the weather today. No, I don't like it. It's too cold. I like that person. I don't like that person. I, you know, this place, that's eh, okay, but that place over there is much better. The mind is always chattering away like that. And just try to become more centered in yourself. Because in reality, the soul doesn't have likes and dislikes doesn't react to things. It acts, but it doesn't react. And so it's a, it's a f- kind of a fun, I'll say, fun, simple way 
to really just think about your life every day and how to just really get more centered, get more calm, and be more in touch with that soul reality. And then attachments, naturally, these are words that we hear all the time, so we try to be non-attached and let go. And, and again, you can just work on those things in ways that are obvious and maybe lighter and more fun. Swami Kriyananda also used to say, don't pick the biggest thing to work on. Pick something that you can actually do, you know, something that's possible. And then because we're always talking about energy and magnetism, and so if we can do something that creates an, a flow of energy. And then it makes it easier to think, oh, well, maybe I could do this as well, and then this. And, and we, we want to get energy moving and not just feel like we're stuck. And the other thing about this is that, and then we get into self-definitions, which are really rooted, and uh, probably we've been thinking we're, we're a certain way for incarnations, possibly. And so we need to also lighten that up and lighten it up in a way that we're lightening up the ego. You know, we're diminishing the, the hold that the ego has on us. And I've always really appreciated the uh, Sadhu Beware book and the ego transcendent techniques that are in there. There's about 33 of them, and you don't need to do them all, but you can just read through them and pick out something. They're simple things. You want something, buy it and give it away. Give it to someone else. Or someone comes up to you and says an idea that you already had. Resist saying, I already had that idea. Or even in, even lightly, oh, that's a good idea. I had that. I resist that part to say, that's a great idea. Leave it be free. And there's there's a lot of little things like that again that are not. We're not trying to kill the ego. We're trying to loosen the grasp of the ego. And so these are ways to be able to do that. And the other thing to keep in mind is that in each stage of life, and the reason for being more fluid is that in each stage of life we're going to face different things. And we really need to be able to fluidly move into and make the adjustments to new ways of being. Maybe it's a new job, maybe it's a new relationship, maybe it's a new place to live, a new country, who knows. But we need to lighten up our self-definitions so that we can flow into new realities. Again, it makes life a lot more fun. It's an adventure then, and not this constant resistance to change because that resistance to change is what we will make you old very quickly <laughs> and so and again it's what when we saw those direct disciples including swami kriyananda there was this lightness there was this joy there was this just ability to flow with life that kept them all. Remember, they were disciples. Yogananda passed in 1952. So this was 1993. And they had 
been disciples all that time. So for all of us, I think it's important just to realize and remember also, and I want to close with this, that the guru is always there, always there. Remember Irene's mother uh, who came to visit many years ago and had uh, was walking out and, and had a vision of Yogananda out in the field uh, down by the farm. And uh, uh, she didn't, you know, think that was unusual. She thought that was a great thing and, and just was very natural with him and asked him questions. And, and then at the very end, she said, well, do you come here often? And he said, I'm here all the time. So for all of us, Master's here all the time. What we need to remember to do is to draw on him, to ask him to... And he said, you know, we can ask the guru for guidance. We can ask for, you know, what should I do in this situation? How should I behave here? But he said, most importantly, ask the guru for the power to grow spiritually. But don't forget to do it. (laughs) 